The GovCon Secrets Podcast will take a deep dive into the government contracting space where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the GovCon Secrets podcast uh, presented by yours truly here at Axon Fringe Solutions Group. Today, we've got another exciting one for you. Uh, We've got a special guest, Spencer Smith, and we've got our good friend and colleague, Pat Moore, on this one. Uh, it should be great. We're going to talk about all things related to benefits, how Spencer's uh, focus is on the business and some of his insights, his podcast and how he's helping brokers around the country. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about GovCon and where we intersect. So uh, it should be a good one. Uh, with that said, Spencer, thank you very much for joining. Uh, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Pat, as always, thanks for joining and uh, adding some insight to uh, the, the world of benefits for us. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had to get on for Spencer, man. I'm I'm excited for the conversation, brother. I always enjoy enjoy your podcast. In fact, I listened to your last one this morning when I was working out. I listened to listened to it, and I listened to all of them, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, he's a fanboying. <laughs> well, I admit, fellas, I'm a, I'm a little a little intimidated by the crew here. You know, like I use I one I don't usually get to sit on the other side and field the questions, but two, I mean, you guys are. You guys are some uh, tough cookies, so uh, I'm, I'm almost a little bit on edge, a little nervous about this. No, no, no. It's, it's all for show. It's all for show. Yeah, it's all for show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah but, you know, it's, it's great because we got to meet very informally and in passing at Benefit Pro yeah. back in Austin. But uh, Pat and you had known each other, and obviously um, he's the one who had turned me on to your podcast. Um, like he said, now I don't miss, right? Because we run in the same circles. Uh, you're yep. talking about some really interesting stuff with a lot of people doing innovative things, and we'll get into all of that. But one of the things I think uh, kind of struck me most was, man, you're put together, dude. You've got a day job, and now you're talking about benefits and self-funding. Uh, why don't you just give us an intro into Spencer Smith, a background, sure. and then tell us about your day gig, and then you know what got you into the podcast. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate that. So um, I, I think I'm like most, uh, I don't know if you fellas got into this industry intentionally or not, but I certainly did not, um, but found myself in it. And over the course of time, you know, I was doing things like small group GA work at Benefit Mall. I was a financial analyst for a number of years, started paying salespeople. And that's where I had my aha moment. Like these guys are getting, guys and gals are getting checks at the end of the year that were bigger than my annual salary. And I'm going, hey, well, what? maybe I'm in the wrong department. Um, so started seeking out more of a customer facing role. So we worked for a benefits uh, agency here in Dallas uh, for about a year and a half and got to actually be customer facing and sit at renewal meetings and prospect meetings, but still going over the numbers. And then I got a nice little out of the blue recruiting phone call from a recruiter for stop loss for Sun Life. And that just, it was like, yes, like I have to do this. I want to be in sales. And so it kind of pulled me out of that financial world and got me into actually selling. And that's where my interest in self-funding and stop loss and all those things 
came from. Um, so just sort of leaned into it, man. I found, I think it took me about a decade to find what I actually liked in this industry. And I embraced it with open arms when I did find it. And I figured, well, if this is a niche within this broader sector, I might as well just become the guy that people seek out or become the guy that, you know, if somebody has a question, they come to me. And so a couple of years ago, made some videos, put them on YouTube and LinkedIn, and they did pretty well. And that was my foray into content. There's a lot more in it. Too. I, I don't want to bore you guys, but there's a lot more to it than that. But that was my start was just a whim, you know, shooting a whiteboard video, kind of like Dr. Eric Bricker does on his stuff, did one on stop loss and realized there was a, a market for it. Right on, right on. Yeah, see, I, I didn't know any of that. So Pat made this introduction to us uh, in passing, right? Yeah, and then I'm yeah. like, man, I got to check out what this guy's deal is about. I went back to that very first video and I'm like, do him and Eric Bricker check out, check out each other's stuff? And then I saw you like you progressed and you started to really roll. Oh, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm pretty sure I, I, I hijacked that format from him. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, I've actually found out later on he lives 10 minutes away from me. Uh, he was actually like my second or third guest on the podcast as well. But he was the one that I saw do that format. I'm like, well, okay, like he's talking about everything, healthcare and hospital systems. And I, you know, none of that stuff is in my wheelhouse, but stop loss is. And nobody ever trained me like kind of formally. You just learn as you go, which I'm 100%. sure you guys have done on you know past jobs. It's like pick it up when you can, and hopefully over the course of a couple of years, you know what you're talking about. I realize there's nobody doing that for the market, so why don't I become the person? Hope hopefully that can do that for other people behind me. You know, and that's interesting, man, because uh, it it actually is like reach one, teach one type thing, right? Like uh, the more people you're talking to, the more people are like, yeah wait, what's this thing all about? You know, what's this, what's going on here? Um, and I, and I've noticed in the comments in your podcast, people actually say that, Oh really? Hey man, I found you from so-and-so. Oh yeah. I read down through all that stuff. And, cool, man. and, and, uh, it, I thought that was really cool. And that's why I wanted to have you on, on our podcast, because maybe you can give some ideas into the folks, uh, because we talk about GovCon, right. And when we're talking about that, it's a very niche market. Sure. We're very centralized, but on the broader scope of benefits, right? Um, where are you seeing the most impact from your podcast and the things that you're doing? Well, it's, it's interesting. And you guys will discover this over the course of time as you build your specific audience for what you do. It's um, you get messages all the time from people that like actually tell you, you did something meaningful for them. Um, I've had people literally tell me I got this job because I watched your videos and I knew what I was talking about. I've had people reach out and say, Hey, you taught me about this or you introduced me to this subject. I reach out to them and now I'm working with them. So you're almost like facilitating conversations for the marketplace that you aren't even aware are happening. Um, so I don't really focus on, you know, hey, how many people total are watching and these big numbers or anything like that. It's like, is there meaningful conversations that are happening and are, is the industry kind of getting different ideas popping out and somebody's picking that up and altering the course of their career or starting a conversation, building their network because of, you know, a conversation I had. That's the stuff that I feel like is most impactful. So from a broader perspective, I really just think not many people like you guys are doing, like I'm doing are seeking to just educate the market in a way that's sort of unbiased. It's just, hey, this is what I know. This is the value I can give. And you will find, and I'm sure you've already found this, eventually your prospects seek you out. They actually come to you, say, I've been watching your stuff. It's great. Like, what do I do, got to do to work with you? I've literally had people say, hey, how do I get PlanSight and how do I start? Um, and I haven't know, I didn't know them, right? Like, but right, they've seen sure. the podcast, they watch, and eventually they almost build a relationship with what you do. And by the time you get to meet them and start having a conversation about a sale, 
the sale's already basically done because they already trust you. It's really cool. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. That's the most interesting phenomenon. So talk to me, talk to me about your day gig. Uh, so the day gig is plan site. Um, I'm SVP of sales. So I basically handle all of our outbound sales with our brokers, especially who are partners of ours, um, taking RFPs to market. So our, our software is a platform that manages the entire RFP workflow. So okay. think about if you guys were um, you know, managing an RFP for a client and you need to get medical or dental or stop loss or vision, any of those lines of coverage, we're just making a more collaborative environment that's in a cloud-based format rather than Excel and PDF. Um, and just creating, I think, a modern way that most people do an RFP um, and have done an RFP for 20 years in a very um, disorganized and inefficient way. That's what PlanSite does in a nutshell. That's right. And then when did the company get started and, and how long have they been up and running? I, I believe four and a half years ago, probably coming up on five at the turn of the year. I mean, the early stages of a startup is usually what you have something called an MVP, a minimum viable product. And you essentially just show some PowerPoints to investors and hope that the idea is enough for them to put some money into it. Right. So the first year our co-founders did that. Um, I joined roughly at the launch. Uh, we were doing our initial launch in, I think, March of April 2019 with our first client, and I was managing that that launch. So I've been here three and a half years or so, um, but really, as we were an actual thing and an actual platform that was viable in the market, I started when that was the case. Right on. And, and how's it been going? It's going great, man. It was uh, early on. Uh, the first year was spent just really digging in and making sure it was working, making sure it was as advertised and that our first client was happy. Uh, then the pandemic comes around and we end up losing that client and going, oh crap, we don't have anybody. Uh, what do we do? Um, and so it took us about six months of hard looking in the mirror to go back to the drawing board and what were we missing? Why were we so myopic with this one client? And then we just all of a sudden caught. I think the market was ready. People were ready to go virtual. They were understanding that an environment that allows their teams to work together remotely um, was something that'd be useful for the RFP. And so we kind of about probably a little less than a year ago hit an inflection point, as we like to call it, where the sales just took off. Some of our APIs were established, which are just connections to other platforms and everything just came into uh, being at the right time. And then the market was ready for what we were doing. It was really, really cool to watch. So that's interesting, man. I didn't know that about PlanSite though. And I thought you guys were much older than that, uh, honestly, because um, I've seen very little as far as demonstration, Yeah. but I was pretty impressed. I, I mean, it's pretty slick. Man, it is, it is pretty cool, honestly. And I've seen it actually um, evolve over the course of a couple of years. Yep. You know, software is constantly evolving. Yep. Um, and so you see the first version and then you see version two and version three. And it's it's pretty fun to see the evolution. Pat, I'm sure you heard all that. But uh, we were talking about PlantSite a little bit. And and I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I thought they were much older. Like I, I, I had no idea that they just started in 2019. I, it's slick. It looks great. It's, I was I was kind of impressed. So uh, maybe we have to go the route of raising some money and doing some some cool stuff for rapid launch. Well, so I'll tell you, you know, the way that I like to describe it, uh, fellas, is like we've talked to brokers that have tried to build something like this themselves and thrown a lot of money at it and came up with nothing. Um, I think the difference for us in, in that model is that this is all we do every single day. We're not a, we're not a firm right. trying to be a software company. We're a software company that understands benefits and both of our founders were brokers. Um, so we just hire a bunch of really good people that understand technology. We know what problems we're trying to solve and what the market needs. We just need to be able to communicate to the developers 
to actually execute upon that. So the difference is, is 24 hours a day, PlanSite is focused on being PlanSite and not something that we're not. There you go. Yeah, no, I, I, so Axum in of ourselves is a technology company that provides services. Okay. We were a benefits compliance company that did services with some technology, right? So there's been this massive mind shift over the last couple of years. Nice. In, in, in changing into that technology platform, being a benefits guy and a compliance guy in the GovCon space only is brutal, right? Because this is a stodgy yeah, old yeah. industry. It's that aircraft carrier turning left. It takes forever. Um, and then you have to get people internally to understand that. Whereas you guys started, you were benefit guys that said, hey, we know the problem. You coders and you know developers, go fix it. Just go code it in, right? Go into the matrix, lock yourself in the closet and create, yeah. create what we tell you. Yeah. Well, but see, you guys probably know this then. Like, I think the industry is going to morph where, you know, brokers, uh, you know, will be consultants, but almost technology consultants. When you think about all the different softwares that they have to help their clients manage from Ben Admin Systems to HRIS to enrollment to uh, agency management systems and CRMs. I mean, there's all these different systems out there. What we feel and we hope we're, we're right is that we become the thing that links those other systems. So we're gathering a lot of data that these other systems need, plan design and rates and commission and things like that. But there's not a singular place where it all goes in and then comes back out normalized. And we think we might be able to be that. But I think I see your industry shifting to, you know, you've got to understand tech. I, I, I can... I can partner with a 22-year-old kid right out of college that doesn't even know benefits. They can pick up our software, right? But the folks that have been doing the same thing for 40 years, it's not that they can't pick it up. It's just there's more of a learning curve because there's more of, I think, an entrenched behavior. Um, but I do think the industry is going to shift where you guys are almost as much technology consultants as you are benefit consultants. You need to be both. That's right. And Pat, it's funny because you know he comes in as the benefits guy and he's like, wait, this is a tech platform. Like, wait, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. is what you sold me, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. All they talk about is API and gigabytes yeah. and all types of terrible <laughs> conversations. Um, it just, it, it's crazy. But no, I, that, that's fascinating. So yeah, you, what Jim built on the, on the compliance platform at Firm Secure, like you guys are speaking the same language. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, I throw around yeah. the term API, and I'm glad you guys know it. Not everybody knows it, and I even forget what the actual acronym is. But I, the way I just describe it to somebody. Application Protocol Interface. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was something with an interface. Yeah. Uh, nerd. Dork, I just have nerd. Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds like, on my yeah. wall. He's my favorite. Nerds. <laughs> Nerd. That's funny. But I think the simplest way to think about it is just one piece of software talking to another with instructions. Yep. I mean, like it, it, it sounds cool when you say it, but you know, what we need is not to have redundant data being typed in by a human being in seven different places. And that's all an API accomplishes. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, what I thought was interesting too, is when I was doing a little bit of review into plan site and I was kind of doing my homework uh, through my little trusty notebook here in front of me. Um, I was again, thinking you were a much older company had sophistication, but I wasn't aware that, how many brokers really relied on you to tell them what was available in the market, right? Like I, I go back to your podcast, I, you talk to all these really smart people, but then I see the brokers in the comments, I've seen them at you at conferences, they rely on your information. They're like, wait, you, PlanSite does, you, you work at PlanSite, it does this. I yeah, thought you yeah. were the podcast yeah. guy. And then you're, you're yeah. bringing in all these like great technology folks and all these people that are leading in the industry. I wonder if you've ever 
gone down the road. Have you ever asked any of the brokers that you're linked in with, like how many of, how many ideas did you get from just watching my, my, my stuff? <laughs> no, I did seek uh, testimonials at one point. I mean, I don't go, Hey, like how many times have I gotten you a piece of business or like, you know, pay sure. me, right. And not, yeah. nothing like that, but yeah, I've asked for yeah. testimonials sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll see if, if it becomes a recurring thing and it's happening a lot, then maybe, uh, but, you know, I think it was more just kind of soliciting like, hey, have I helped you? Has this podcast, and especially to the guests um, that have been on, like, have you had, you know, a sale that happened as associated to this or somebody reach out that end up being a prospect? And so almost uniformly, the answer was something to that effect that that has happened. I don't know the aggregate impact, right? And it's hard to really gauge. Um, but, you know, I think you approach it similar to, to I, the way that I do. It's just if you go out and have good conversations and approach it honestly like i don't bring forth when i talk to somebody new i don't bring forth a bias to try to you know sell them make a commercial for them nor do i try to defeat them or try to you know throw up obstacles to to expose them like i just want to have a good conversation almost as if i was a consultant um vetting what they're talking about so ask good questions ask challenging questions but give them an opportunity even overcome common objections to where if somebody listens it feels like oh I'm listening to a conversation that I would have with this person. Spencer asked the questions I was going to ask already. Now I know, does this solution actually make sense for me or not? Mm -hmm. I think so maybe pre-qualifying, if you will, some of the solutions that I talk about. I think that's part of some of the service that I do for the market. But I don't come into it with any bias or any uh, you know goal at the end as to what the outcome is supposed to look like. See, that's huge because so many people, especially in today's country, right, they have this like uh, – chosen path one way or the other, right? And they are either on your team or they're vehemently against you. There's no impasse. Like you can disagree. Mm -hmm. It's okay to disagree. We don't have to think the same things. But like uh, what I think I saw you've done a lot, especially with your most recent guests, you had the gentleman from True on there. Um, great, yeah. great podcast. Scott. Yeah, Scott. Scott. Smith. Scott yeah. Yeah. I, I knew nothing about him. Never met the man or whatever. I, I felt like I was in his kitchen a little bit, right? Like I kind of got to know the guy and I was like, okay, cool. Out of everybody that does what his company does, I really like that guy, right? Like that's a guy yeah. I can sit down and, and have a conversation with. Might not agree with his philosophy or the way they do business. It doesn't matter. I think I like that guy, right? Yeah. I, would, I would never know either because we're not connected on LinkedIn and I've never met the man. But um, yeah. I thought you did a really good job of understanding his business, impartial, neutral, but then he got to really explain more about his business, where they see the market. And uh, I was like, that's really cool. I, I like the way you pulled that out. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, right, that's all any of us really want is to be heard about what we do and understood. And, you know, if I can help somebody over the course of an hour position themselves, talk about their values, talk about their product or service um, and be understood. It, like you said, uh, Jim, it doesn't mean everybody wants it or agrees with them. But at the end of the day, at least you know enough about that person to make a determination if you want to engage with them or not. And at the end of the day, you mentioned him being likable. That's what most of us, uh, you know, if we're likable, the rest of it sort of takes care of itself. Because underneath likable is, you know, you're trustworthy. Um, maybe you can articulate your ideas well enough. You probably stand for certain things that people like. And if you are likable, then at the end of the day, we do business with people we like. Um, and so if he accomplished that in that hour, then that's a good thing. That's why we brought Pat into Axum. Nobody likes me, but everybody seems to yeah. like him a lot. So <laughs> I was like, you, Pat, you go do all the That's business. A smart play. Yeah, man. I'll just I'll I'll figure stuff out and create ideas. Just go work with Pat. You guys, everybody likes him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I got my I got my pencil and like a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a I got a question, man. So yeah, what you're doing, right? Like with the podcast and a lot of the the LinkedIn marketing. Obviously, I, I respect it. I I vibe with it. Thanks, man. It's kind of like bringing the artist to the business to the business world. And I'm just curious from like Spencer Smith, the kid, right? <laughs> Did you have like an artist streak in you growing up? Like, was there something in you that, that liked to doodle or write stuff or create at all? Like where did, where did this come from? I appreciate that question, man. That's a, that's a deeper question. Uh, typically when I get the field, I, I think, yes, I think the issue Pat, um, and I don't know if you guys are the same Jim, um, I was an athlete growing up. So all I did was think about sports and, you know, I lived for soccer. I mean, literally up until about 23 years old, any waking hour that was uh, not school related or something like that, I was playing or thinking about soccer. So the artistry, if you will, the origin of that, and if you guys have ever played soccer is a free flowing game where there's no set plays. So everything is creative. You, you hear players being described as creative all the time. Um, so I'll give you that background to answer your question, Pat. I think once that was done, once my career was over after college, I, I had to figure out where there was a creative outlet. Um, I pursued things like uh, I did some on-camera scene study acting classes for about five years in Dallas, where it was like breaking apart a scene and understanding what was happening and really just kind of technical like Jim would be with his whiteboard. It's like technically breaking down, down a three-page scene with notes and what am I thinking about and what's the motivation and all that stuff. Um, and then started writing for stand-up and started doing stand-up comedy in, in Dallas for uh, another five years or so here. So I think all of that, to answer your question in long form, was leading probably to what I'm doing today. And I didn't know it at the time. But I like to write. I like to speak. And I like to be able to discuss ideas. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things I'm most passionate about. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and I, I had mean, to get to forty to to have that self reflection. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Realize it about myself. Yeah, yeah. You realize how smart of a guy you are when it takes you to get to forty to figure. Yeah, two, out. Yeah, 22 decades to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Know, I'm I'm with you, man. But it, it's funny because I find a lot of athletes, especially you know, being a former athlete, uh, being an infantry marine, when you get out and you can no longer compete, you have to find that thing that still drives you. You mm -hmm. have to like, I, I don't know anybody that competed at a high level in anything uh, that ever just stopped. Right. It, yeah. they, they didn't, they didn't become average. They just, they were like, no, nah, it's the next thing. And Pat and I know a lot of mutual folks, but you know, we know guys that were all time badasses in the Marine Corps. I mean, just, just legends, heroes, lost two legs, lost an arm, lost an eye, whatever. They're out doing triathlons now. They're out yeah. just like, they're getting it, right? They kick ass. And uh, th there's this one young guy out there. I didn't serve with him. He's much younger than me, guy Kyle Carpenter. Um, he's all over LinkedIn and YouTube. But, you know, this young guy jumped on a grenade for his fellow Marines, right? Gets, gets the Medal of Honor. And I remember when he was in Bethesda Naval Hospital and coming around, he was kind of in the scene, like uh, being here in the Metro DC area. And I remember meeting him briefly. And I was like, so, so what's next? This kid's recuperating, right? He's just getting back on his feet after years of surgeries. And, um, he's like, he's like, man, I, I'm just going to try to compete at something like, right. And I was like, what? Like, I, I yeah. couldn't believe this, this kid's missing an eye. He's burnt, you know, he's, he was blown up and he's like, I'm going to find something to compete in. And I was like, man, awesome. that is huge. Right. But I, I found that like people that played at a high level or were always competitive have to do that next thing. 
uh, the comedy thing kind of stood out though. Like I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, dude, I don't know how you take that, man. Most people are surprised. Um, you know, and it's fun. That's some people are very funny around their friends. Right. And like, I have my group of friends where you can joke around with, and I've known for 20 years and you just say stupid stuff. Right. And you get a laugh. The art of comedy, comedy, when Pat was talking about art, there's a science to it of how jokes work, the formula, you know, the pacing, the cadence of your talk and everything. But the artistry is what appealed to me. It's like, you have a job. Your job is to go on that stage, elicit a specific response from strangers. And if you do it, the high is no, there's nothing like it. If you ever talk to a comic that has a really good set, there's literally not a reward, a dopamine response higher, I think, than like killing it on stage. And it's almost indescribable until you've experienced it. But inversely as well, bombing on stage, you talk about being vulnerable and exposed to the world and like feeling what it's like to suck in front of 50 people or a hundred people. And they're just as uncomfortable as you are. There's also nothing I feel I've ever probably experienced that is as low and and defeating as that as well. Um, But it's, it's, it's an odd, but just a really rewarding art form as well. And when people kill it and actually get to the level of like a Joe Rogan or a Bill Burr or guys like that, you just go like so much respect for the three or four decade grind that it took for them to get to that level. hundred percent, dude. But you got to commit. You got to commit. Like it has to be your life. And I just wasn't willing to make it my life. It's so funny because I follow a lot of those guys and I follow their history and their arc and like Rogan will have Burr on and they'll talk about their days back in Boston when they were doing rooms with like six people and people like throwing shit at them. Like, dude, you suck. And you know, Rogan can fight, right? Like he's a badass in real life. Can you yeah. imagine some dude like just launching a hot dog at you? He's like Billy Joe, Billy Joe lunchbox. And he's like, you suck. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, it's funny because when you said the comedian thing, I was like, that's like being a young guy in benefits. Like when, when I started, right. I, I come out of the Marine Corps. I didn't have any job history, training, anything like that. And I, I finally get into benefits and it was like, no, a thousand times a week. Yeah. Right. Like you, cause back then it was cold calling. It was very transactional. It was sending out mailers and all this and just trying to get small group BORs. Right. I'm trying to get five person groups. And uh, I always say that was the ugly side of the business where Pat came from like the luxurious side. He came from driving the Rolls Royces. I, I was <laughs> look at him. Of course he came from the luxurious side. Like, look at that. I was, I was, I was pushing the Yugos. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but it was like that constant, it was that like, no beat it. We're not interested and getting your teeth kicked in a thousand times and still coming back the yeah. next day and having to do it again. So uh, I see a lot of similarities in that, um, but it makes you humble real quick. It makes you humble. That's for sure. Well, and, mo- you know, and not to belabor this point too much, but like most comics that you meet are actually, even if they're very successful, they're very humble people because they've been through all that and they didn't really see, I don't think most of them seek fame anyways. They just literally love the art form so much that they become obsessed with it. But they're like, there's some of the coolest people there. There's some degenerates and there's some people with severe drug and drinking problems and probably not people that you want to hang out with all the time but also probably the funniest conversations and some very deep philosophical conversations I've gotten into with comics because they're just sort of like observers of life. They just happen to want to find the things that are funny or absurd about life. Um, but they're very philosophical in nature too. Well, I would be the Artie Lang of the insurance industry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, there you go. Do you know your niche now? Yeah. needs to clue me in. Who's Artie Lang? I don't know. Oh, dude. Just listen to Stern like a decade or uh, 15 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago. Um, but he's just, when you talk about the degenerates of degenerates, like Spencer was saying, 
yeah. that's what you're calling it. He okay, actually had a joke yeah. where he woke up on his parents' front yard after shooting heroin for two days straight with his pants down. It's like, yeah. like, like that's already lagged, but you know, but that type is embraced with open arms in the, in the comedy community, man. Uh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, well, to get back to benefits, yeah. you know, <laughs> great segue, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the grind, yeah. you know, the humility, the grind, you know, building up the chops and everything is there. Um, I've seen the crazy transition in this business over the last 20 years, uh, almost it's 18 years now. Um, tell me how you see benefits. You know, you're, you work at PlanSight, you've got, you've got a direct insight into who's quoting what and how they're doing it. But tell me what you see from your side of what you see in the industry. Well, I think uh, I was kind of alluding to it earlier and I'll expound upon the notion of, I think you guys are moving, morphing into being true consultants. And I think the industry will further push uh, your profession that direction where it's everything's fee based, um, you know, with the exposure with the CAA, I think there's going to be a lot of comeuppance in terms of uh, hidden compensation and exposure of that. There was a lawsuit recently, I think that I don't need to say the broker, but there's a lawsuit recently where broker got, uh, you know, called out for that and had to pay like $2 million in reconciliation. So I think why I bring that up is not as a scare tactic, but I just think your job is going to continue to evolve into being a pure consultant, pure strategist. You're not shopping on behalf of carriers and just going from UHC to Blue Cross to Aetna and Cigna and getting the best rates or negotiating the best discounts. It's a, it's a very sophisticated industry. And I think it un- unfortunately gets a bad rap sometimes. But I, I, the good ones like you guys and the good ones like a lot of the other folks out there that we're all connected with that are truly doing something that I think actually has real meaning, I think uh, brokers have the opportunity to be the voice for healthcare and really change in healthcare in the next decade or so. So you could, you like switching your format to in-person. Yeah. That's a commitment, man. It, like, that it is. is. That, like doing them virtually is a commitment. It's tough. It takes a lot of work the video editing, the, you know, the researching of the, all that stuff takes work, but you're converting to like in-person podcasts. Talk me through that. Like, I think people don't understand how much work you put into this. Well, I I appreciate that, man. Yeah. It's um, the vision was, Hey, I think if I get people in person, I can have, I can develop the best rapport and the best conversation possible. And like I was telling you a second ago, I can control the variables. If I have somebody come into studio I know we do the exact same setup. It's exact same sound, exact same lighting because we shoot at the same time. So I thought if I can control as many variables as possible and only have to worry about the conversation, I could almost guarantee the highest level product. Now with that comes planning, scheduling. If people are coming in from out of town, I got to schedule in advance and work around them flying in. You know, there's a cost associated with that, you know, that's greater than if you were doing virtual. So it's a choice. I made a choice to go down a path. I've stuck with it. Um, I could give it up and I probably could have five podcasts a week and have a lot more conversations. But, you know, the way that I wanted it to sort of differentiate is just to to be committed to that um, and for better or for worse. Right. And so I just whenever I commit to something, I unfortunately commit to it fully. Um, and I'm like, well, all right, this is what I'm doing. I'm not going back now. And so <laughs> we'll see in like five years if that was the right choice or not. Dude, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I love it. I I think it makes total sense. Um, I was much of the same idea where let's build a studio, right? Yeah. I don't have an office anymore. So COVID, everybody goes away, no more offices. Um, And then I was like, go buy it, go build a studio, right? We'll do something. We'll attach a headquarters or something to it. And then I realized, oh, wait, 
<laughs> everybody's doing that, right? Like, oh, you know, out in Arizona or Vegas, everybody's doing that. Um, so I'm going to let this dust settle a little bit. We'll still do the virtual thing, but definitely have it to bring it in. I think your instinct was correct though, Jim. I mean, I honestly, I think you almost have to. Yep. Um, I have access to a beautiful studio based on where I work, but if I didn't, I'd probably have to build a studio if I wanted to continue to do what I do at the level that you're trying to do it. And I do think that the industry is almost requiring, if you look at all the people that are influencers or whether they're coaches or salespeople or whatever, it's almost like if you're not doing it, you're getting left behind in the marketplace. So I think just lean into it, build out your studio, exactly what your aesthetic and your vibe is like, but I, it's almost going to become a requisite to be successful. I think in the next few years, man, is to have a space to actually shoot stuff all the time. Good to know. Good to know. My opinion. I could be wrong. My opinion. So one thing he said that I thought was funny is that, um, and I want to go back to it because it stuck out and I still have it as a note. So many brokers, so few differences, right? And you said you had made the, the, the um, comment, you're going to be forced to be a consultant. Yeah. Well, that happened in the uh, financial and PNC space decades ago, right? And I said this for years. So we've been fee-only, transparent fee for over a decade as a fiduciary. Love it. Um, I make a comment online about this is coming. And I did it. Uh, actually, I look back. I did it 27 months ago. And I followed up on it six times since then. I look back at my comment, right? And I look and I made that same comment six times since then. They're my least viewed comments. Hmm. My least liked comments. Hmm. I made it recently, about four weeks or three weeks ago, and I had somebody come out and say, hey, instead of being attacking or causing fear or whatever it was, um, the, you know, more people will come. And I stewed on that comment, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> you're the you're the dude I was talking about. Yeah. Right? I, I didn't say that, but I said it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, and I, and, and, and instead of type and I'm not a, I don't have social media. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't type with my fist. Uh, old Jim Campbell would have, I was showing up at the dude's door. Right. <laughs> but now like, uh, but now I'm just like, okay, okay. And then an industry influencer made the same comment two days later, literally yeah. two days later. Oh yeah, this, that, oh, you're right. This, and, and I'm thinking to myself, why? Mm -hmm. Like, why? Is it just the person that said it? Same message. But I go back to so many brokers, so few differences. Who do you think survives and who dies? Well, you know, I hope nobody, you know, I hope nobody dies, but, uh, they're, they're, but yeah, you know what I, I mean? I know, In I the industry. No, I, I tease, but, um, I think the consultant that has been, um, solely focused on being like a marketer um, for on behalf of their clients that their entire uh, business is based on relationships. And I, I don't say that lightly where I, I know relationships are important, but if your sole reason why you've kept a client forever is because you play golf with them and they're being inundated with new and better ideas that can save them, you know, seven, eight figures a year on their health plan, um, eventually they're going to say yes to that. So I, I have taken the approach and I see a lot of consultants that have taken the approach that I'm going to have better ideas than anybody else. And that's how I'm going to win in, in the actual open market. Um, you can't do anything about 
politics of things, you, you sometimes some those relationships are, are so deeply entrenched that you can't unseat them. But I think if often enough you're talking about better things than their current consultant is, then it's a matter of time until they end up going by the wayside. And so it's not necessarily just even a generational thing. There's consultants in their 50s and 60s that I absolutely admire and they're doing great things, but they're open to actually evolving and they're not stuck in their ways. Yeah. And then to the antithesis of that, I see that there's so much innovation. You see it all the time. You probably see it more than we do. Yeah. So much innovation. Do you think how much of it do you think is just noise and how much do you think will actually make a change in the industry? Well, it's it's a lot of noise, man. I've heard it called uh, point solution fatigue because it's like there's so many things out there, new apps, and there's a lot of money being thrown at um, insure tech, which is the space I'm in. Yeah, there's a lot of noise, um, and there's a probably far too many companies out there that are overpromising on the things that they sell. And so it's difficult. I look at your seat where you actually have to validate a solution and put it in motion with a client and your reputation's on the line for that. I fortunately am a step removed from that where I just have a conversation and let the market decide if that's a viable solution or not. So it's hard, man. Um, and I think there's, I think there's just a lot of money being pumped in with private equity and, um, you know, lots of capital pouring in acquisitions for aggregation of, uh, of you know, brokerages, um, which, you know, I think are somewhat, unfortunately, incentivizing the wrong direction because it's a bottom line play and it's not necessarily what's best for the employer. Yep. But I think the people that win are the people that tell the best story and then actually have proof behind what they say. They have a track record of success that they can point to. 100%. And we talk about it all the time on our side, the consolidation of the market doesn't necessarily mean you're getting anything new or creative or in innovative. You're getting a bigger name. That doesn't mean you're getting help, right? And and um, back to your previous comment as well, a lot of those uh, alignments are financially driven at the carrier yes. bonus level or whatever. The producer you might work with never sees that, right? It stays at the high end of that company chain. They never see yes. it. So they are good people. They're just not aligned with the hierarchy that they work for. And that ultimately has a left turn going somewhere in the relationship, right? So. Absolutely. And I don't know if you guys have heard the latest Rogan episode or a couple episodes ago with Brigham Buller, the ways to well guy. Um, if you haven't heard it, strongly recommend. It's the first time he's had somebody on his podcast that almost was directly speaking to our industry. Everything like Big Pharma, his background as a pharmacy rep, Bucas, you know, he, he specifically talked about the insurance companies and how they're, you know, altering the way that providers are getting paid and, you know, that the, just the fee for service model. And it was really interesting. But um, I think one of the big things that he talked about is that the people that operate within these systems are typically good people nine times out of 10. It's just the system we've created has perverse incentives that makes people choose things that, um, you know, they're incentivized to choose, right? And, and they're paid based on some of the choices or recommendations they make. I think until we decouple um, the carriers paying for most of the things to the brokers, right? And until you decouple that, then you're always going to have some bias into the recommendations because of bonus programs and the like or overrides that are hidden and things like that. So we've got to go towards more towards your model of a fee for service where the employer is just paying you as a consultant um, and you guys, you guys can operate in an agnostic way on their behalf and not be persuaded one way or the other based on bonuses. Yeah. Outstanding, man. Outstanding. Again, these are my, my thoughts and my I thoughts know. alone. So yeah, <laughs> dude, <laughs> throw stones at me or at the screen. If you, if you disagree, they're beautiful thoughts, beautiful thoughts, beautiful hair. <laughs> Look, I, I would say, you know, 
we, we hear it all the time because we have, we have two clients. We have typically the contractor and we have the broker, you know, and we've got to work with both and we've got to help one understand the other and vice versa. So we, we, we walk this bridge every day, man. And like you said, agnostic hands up, just want to come out and do a good job, be very clean, very transparent. What you choose to do, Hey, you know, that's between you, your maker and the client. Yeah. You know what I mean, like we have nothing to do with it. Exactly. It all washes out in the end, though, to your point. It eventually gets down to brass tacks where people are going to pay for what's providing the most result yeah. and value. Well, I even like some of the models. I think Dave Contorno is famous for this, where some of the um, his payment incentives are based on the actual outcome itself. And he has the opportunity to earn more money if he does his job. I, I like that model, right? Not everybody is is able to do that, right? Some folks are just getting out and they need those worksite commissions. And, you know, I, I totally get why the commission structure exists. I just think the further you get away from that, the more objective in nature you can be on behalf of your client. And that's just why I advocate for that direction. 100%. Well, shifting a little gear here, um, why do you think you've garnered so much attention from benefits brokers in the space by running a podcast, but yet working for an insure tech? Uh, I had somebody say this to me. I think Ryan Miller said this to me, and I actually agree with him. Um, I don't sell anything on the show. Like, there's no call to action. I'm not doing a podcast so that you call me about PlanSight. I approached it as like, hey, just if I have great conversations and I get to actually highlight somebody else and make them look good for an hour and tell their story with no objective uh, you know, tied to that at the end. So when people listen, I think what happens when people listen to the show, they don't feel like they're being tricked or hoodwinked into anything. They just get to listen to the show and be a fly on the wall, like you said earlier, Jim. And that's it. There's, there's nothing else. There's no intention beyond that. Ultimately, if they make the determination to look me up and look plan side up and see if that's a fit for them under their own volition. Great. Um, and that is a, that is an indirect offshoot. I don't want to, I don't want to lie about that, but that's never the intention, nor is it, um, is it purposeful in what I do? So I think that's why, you know, if I had to crystal ball and why does that, why does it work? Because there's nothing that uh, I, I tether my podcast to at all, um, in terms of what I want people to do. Amen. And honestly, somebody asked me when they were like, who's your guest? I had just met you. I said, Pat, we have to get Spencer on here. Yeah. Not Pat, but the people that look at, at the like programming. Why this guy? He, he doesn't have anything to do with GovCon or you're, he doesn't sell what you do. And, and I said, precisely because he talks to everybody else that's doing a lot of great things in the industry and provides open, clear access to what that person does. Yeah, And then somebody that's at GovCon that's listening to this says, well, Spencer has nothing to do with Axum. They have nothing to do with individual sales of the insurance. Let me listen to what this guy has to say because he's talking to all these people, though. And now we're just trying to give our audience open, clear insight into what's out there, right? Yeah. I love it, man. So. It's great. Um, and I think it's never a bad uh, thing to actually just discuss ideas, right? And here, we're, we're both, uh, all three of us are... are have been in this industry for a long time. So like yep. worst case is we have an intelligent conversation about what's going on and somebody picks up one or two nuggets out of that conversation. Oh, if that's, if that's the worst thing that happens, then I think we, we all did our job. Pat, what do you have? I think you sell yourself short there, man. I think it's that. Um, but it's also skills. Like you, you put in work when you're preparing for the interviews and going back to just the most recent um, interview with the, the true guy, what was his name? Scott Smith. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Scott yeah Smith. There you go. Like you, you, you asked him questions, you got his opinion, you listen, 
but you didn't just let him say whatever he wanted to say. Like you, you pushed him to come full circle with the statements that he made. So you've just been fair with it too. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a certain level of skill with this. It's not just because you did it and you tried it. You're, you're actually pretty good at it. Well, thanks, man. Uh, thanks. And I can tell you guys prepared well in your notes. And, and Jim, I appreciate the research that you did prior to this um, as well. Like a little bit of preparation actually <laughs> goes a long way yeah, in matters, this yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah, it does matter. And it shows when somebody is prepared and when somebody's not. Yeah, man. And I, you know, I, I made a comment to you before, but I'd love to have you down to the conference. We can sit live, you know, break bread. And uh, again, just just chew the fat, yeah. right? We're not selling anything. We're just trying to help the world get a little bit better. But um, I can't thank you enough, man. I, you I really too. enjoyed it. I know time is up, but uh, this was a lot of fun and I hope we can do it again. We can do a check-in and we'll keep following your podcast for sure. Yeah. And like I said, open invitation, Jim, Pat, both of you guys, one of you guys, if you ever make it up to Dallas uh, for any reason, I know I have Pat on in a mini version, but I'd love to have one of you guys or both of you guys on for a full version as well. And, and spend an hour plus talking about what GovCon actually means uh, to my audience, man. It'll be a lot of fun. hundred percent. I'm in, te- I'm in the great state of Texas all the time. Maybe we'll do it too for yeah. Marine Corps will invade the podcast. Man. He invade the podcast. We've, we've done multi-person podcasts before and we can make it work. Um, and it actually works pretty, pretty well. So I, I would love that. So you guys let me know whenever you might be coming this way. Sounds good, my man. Well, uh, again, thank you very much. Tell us where everybody can find you at. Yeah, the, the best way to find me, I think, is on LinkedIn. I'm just the most active there. So Spencer Smith, comma, CSFS for Certified Self-Funded Specialist. Um, but Self-Funded with Spencer is the podcast that's available on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. So Self-Funded with Spencer, if you Google that, it'll come up. And we're going we're gonna to rep the hell out of it, man, because I, I cool. really enjoy it. One of the very few podcasts I listen to consistently, and you, you, like Pat said, you're nailing it, man. So really appreciate Thanks, what, what you're putting into it. Thank you both. Thanks, brother.